Welcome to the F5 podcast series, What Lies Beneath, a deep dive into the technologies, people, and processes that make our digital lives possible. I'm your host, Terry Patrick, and today we're speaking with Owen Garrett about alternatives to service mesh. If you're interested in understanding more about the history of service mesh, how it works, why it's useful, check out our Service Mesh 101 podcast. So, Owen, um, let's start. Tell me a bit about your background. You work for uh, you work on Nginx for F5 Networks. Um, how did you come in to be in that role and what first sparked your interest in Service Mesh? Sure, Terry. I've been working in the software load balancing and web serving world for many, many years. I joined Nginx six years ago. I helped lead the product management functions for Nginx and some of our Kubernetes and microservices initiatives within the Nginx product group inside F5 Networks. I look at technologies such as ingress controllers, service mesh technologies, and other challenges that users face whenever they're trying to operate applications successfully at enterprise scale on platforms such as Kubernetes. Well, so service mesh is is a really interesting space. There's a lot of hype. There's clearly just a tremendous amount of benefit um, that it brings to container management. But... It's still in an early stage of development. Um, there, there are relatively few production deployments. What, what, in your experience, are you seeing as the challenges organizations are having with Service Mesh? You're absolutely right. Service Mesh has grown in hype very, very quickly, faster, I think, than any other bit of technology I've seen in the last few years. Faster than virtualization, faster than containers, faster than Kubernetes. And the challenge when hype grows so quickly is that users' expectations are raised, but the technology may not be sufficiently mature to operate at the enterprise-required levels of scale and performance and reliability. The world's moving very quickly. The technology is developing very, very fast. What might have been true six months ago for Service Mesh may not be true now, and Service Mesh will certainly have developed further in the next six months. The challenges that I see organizations face now are very much at the now. It may be in six months or 12 months' time, the world has moved on and these challenges are no longer relevant. But I see organizations who look at the hype, who hear the story of Service Mesh, they respond with high expectations about what Service Mesh is able to do. Some organizations have even come saying, we can't deploy an application on Kubernetes or in a container environment without a service mesh. Yet, they're not clear on what a service mesh is. They're not clear on the benefits that it brings and why those benefits are important to them. And so, the challenges that they face often fit into two different categories. Either they don't have a clear plan of why they need a service mesh. They've responded to the hype They've responded to the fear of missing out. They throw some resources at a service mesh project without clear ideas of the metrics or the benefits it's going to give them. And when you invest in a project such as that without knowing the outcome you're looking for, very often that project is doomed to fail because you struggle understanding how that project, how that technology can be relevant and beneficial for your particular situation. The other challenge that I see is that operating at scale in production is very, very different to operating or testing in a development 
or pre-production environment. And those scalability problems sometimes manifest themselves with new technology such as service mesh, where a proof of concept might be successful in a small development environment with a simple application, with low levels of traffic, with low volumes of change. But when that technology is then moved into production with significantly greater complexity of applications, significantly faster volumes of change, significantly greater amounts of traffic, then some of the scalability challenges, the operational challenges that are inherent in technology like service mesh may only surface in a production environment. So it's really important for organisations when they look at technology like service mesh that they have a clear idea of what they're trying to achieve and the benefits that they expect so they can build a pilot project to investigate and target those benefits. And also that they're aware that the differences between a development and a production environment can often mean that a successful development trial doesn't translate yet to a production deployment. That said, as I mentioned at the beginning, the service mesh technology is iterating and improving with every release. And many of the problems that organisations are facing now may well be solved or addressed in the next six or 12 months. Can you give some examples of, um, of an organization that maybe went in, started experimenting with service mesh, and then discovered that they weren't ready to make use of it? What, what, what might that look like? So what we've learned as we've talked with our users and we've tracked, them, tracked their development and their, their trials, we've worked to support those with Nginx technology, we've learned that there's a set of readiness milestones that an organization should achieve before, te before they're ready for technology such as service mesh. There are four key watermarks that I think an organization should be able to achieve before they start adopting service mesh technology in a proof of concept targeting production. The organization needs to be operating at a significant and sufficient level of operational maturity. They need to be able to deploy applications to their Kubernetes or container platform automatically. They need to be able to do that at scale, at pace, at velocity. They need to be GitOps enabled. If you can't achieve that level of operational maturity, then you have bigger and more immediate problems that you need to solve than the problems that Service Mesh will address. Secondly, your applications need to be at the level of complexity that a Service Mesh is going to bring measurable benefits. They need to be at a sufficient level of scale, a sufficient level of service depth, a sufficient level of rate of change where you need the automated capabilities of Service Mesh to help track and diagnose and debug challenges. If your application is simple, if you've taken an existing monolithic application and dropped it onto Kubernetes, or you've built a simple application from a handful of services, the application does not change, is not updated very quickly. As a kind of rule of thumb, if you can keep, if you can hold the complexity and topology of that application in your head, then you can track it and you can debug it and you can monitor it using standard tools. You don't need the crutch or the support of automated tools like Service Mesh and the extra complexity that they bring. It's only when the application gets so complex that you cannot do that yourself 
that you need the help of Service Mesh. Then the third watermark, you need to look at the capabilities that Service Mesh brings and assess whether those are additive and necessary over what Kubernetes can do. When you look at the hype and the message around Service Mesh, it can be easy to forget that Kubernetes already provides a lot of the functionality that Service Mesh says it's enabled. Kubernetes provides access control capabilities with its network policies. Kubernetes, with deployments and replica sets, allows you to do things like rolling updates of applications. Kubernetes implements health checks for your application. All things that people have looked at Service Mesh to provide. So remember that although Service Mesh brings some benefits, people have been operating applications on Kubernetes with a great degree of success for three or four years without Service Mesh. So be clear that the benefits that Service Mesh brings are benefits that you need. And finally, do make sure that Service Mesh is the right technical fit for the application and the environment that you have. Current Service Mesh app implementations are very, very tightly bound to Kubernetes, for example. If the nature of your application is that it's a hybrid application, there are significant components that run outside of Kubernetes, and maybe you've followed a strangler pattern to implement microservices and Kubernetes in front, then Service Mesh won't bring you the full benefits that you might expect, because the Service Mesh only addresses the components of the application that are running in Kubernetes. On the other hand, if you have a greenfield application that is Kubernetes-centric, container-centric, all of the components run within a Kubernetes cluster, then Service Mesh could be a good technical fit. So there are these four readiness milestones, these watermarks that you need, in our opinion, enabled to be able to achieve before you think about Service Mesh. Once you get to that point, you have operational maturity, you have a clear view of the benefits that you think Service Mesh will bring you, and your organization's an appetite for learning, then that's a great position to be in, to look at emerging and innovative technologies such as Service Mesh. And for some organizations, that's a pretty high bar, right? Um, the organizations are evolving their operational models right now. A lot of them have not reached that level of operational maturity. Um, for an organization that maybe isn't ready, whether it's operationally or maybe their application doesn't require the capabilities of Service Mesh. What kinds of alternatives should they be looking at to give them the benefits, the telemetry, the resiliency, the security that people are looking to Service Mesh to achieve with their microservices applications? That's a really insightful question, Terry. And I've looked at organizations who've been operating applications on platforms like Kubernetes for years without using an off-the-shelf service mesh. And sometimes they bump up against the limitations of Kubernetes, and they need the capabilities of mutual TLS, they need telemetry, they need better load balancing, they need better access control, they need governance for their application running in Kubernetes. And how do they do that without a service mesh? How have they been achieving that for the last few years? And in many cases, it's through tactical use of proxies, network proxies, things like 
Nginx or HAProxy or Envoy to intercept and capture and control the traffic within the microservice distributed application. The proxies start with an ingress controller. An ingress controller is a great way to capture and shape and control and visualize the traffic as it comes in to the application. I see many cases where organizations have embedded a reverse proxy inside each and every pod when they deploy that onto Kubernetes. That's not just a Kubernetes-specific solution. People have been putting reverse proxies such as Nginx in front of applications for years because it gives them a consistent HTTP interface for that application, a consistent way to secure the application, to terminate SSL, to log traffic, to apply rate limits, to provide metrics and telemetry to tools such as Prometheus and Grafana. And that's a pattern that people very commonly follow when they build pods and then deploy them into Kubernetes. That's something that the application developer is able to do as part of the container build process. Or, as it gets more sophisticated, I've seen organizations deploy proxies as tactical load balancers within an application. Perhaps there is a service in that application that has specific load balancing or circuit breaker or blue-green deployment requirements. And you can meet those requirements by putting a dedicated load balancer in front of that one service. The load balancer could be single tenant, just for that one service, or it could be multi-tenant, performing the same functionality for multiple services. And that gives operations teams control over how traffic is directed to individual pods within a service. And it allows them to automate things like canary and blue-green releases. It allows them to put the control, maybe the, the WAF capability on the proxy or the rate limiting capability, put that into the Kubernetes environment without having to change the application. Or you can take it to an extreme. I've seen organizations that have implemented simple service meshes purely with proxies, using IP tables to capture ingress and egress traffic, and implement mutual TLS networks without having to make any changes to their application. These solutions have great benefits. They're simple. They can be deployed by the developer or by the operations team. They don't have a control plane. So they are simple to operate and they're reliable. But they do have limitations. As the application scales, as you don't know the full topology of the application, as you have more and more components, then the complexity of embedding proxies throughout the application becomes high. And what a service mesh does is that it seeks to automate and industrialize that. It embeds the sidecar proxies within each pod in the application automatically. In order to function, it needs a control plane, and the control plane can potentially be one of the weaknesses of a service mesh as you scale from a small development application to a very large, active, frequently changing suite of production applications. But that's why service mesh has evolved. It's taken these principles that people have been following for three or four years as they deploy applications in Kubernetes, and it's seeking to automate and industrialize those principles. Are there, are there ways to sort of recognize the tipping point, maybe when you've moved from the point where you can manage it um, without a service mesh? Yeah. 
So you can look at the complexity of the applications that you have and the challenges of embedding proxies within those applications. And that comes as you have more and more services for the application. It comes if you have more and more different frameworks, different, different places where you have to embed those proxies. For a simple application that doesn't change, for an application where you've got full control over the CICD, the build and the deploy process, you can automate a lot of the embedding of proxies. But, as I mentioned before, once you get to a level of scale where it becomes too difficult to do that, then the cost of doing that begins to overtake the cost of deploying a service mesh. And that's where the tipping point begins to emerge. As service meshes get simpler, easier to deploy, more reliable, more scalable, as the operational cost of a service mesh comes down, as it certainly will over the next few years, then that pulls the tipping point in and means that service meshes will become more relevant for more users in the future. Well, so not an entirely fair question I get because things change rapidly. It's very hard to predict the, mm -hmm. the, the future. But um, just following up on that, do you have predictions about how you see these technologies evolving over the next couple of years? I think we'll see a number of different approaches diverging, and it's very hard to predict which ones are going to dominate. We'll certainly see continuing improvement and enterprise readiness of service meshes such as Istio. We may see some other interesting projects emerge, projects which are embedded deeper within the networking layer in Kubernetes that make some of the service mesh capabilities more native to Kubernetes, and we're doing that they could reduce the cost and complexity of deploying a service mesh. On the team at Nginx, we're looking at some of these developments. We're building our own service mesh. We looked at Istio. We did have a project a couple of years ago where we embedded Nginx inside Istio. But we found that it's very important if we want to investigate and innovate in a technology such as service mesh that we need to be able to control our own destiny. So we have a prototype service mesh, which we are developing and innovating on top of. We're following similar design goals to the design goals we had with our ingress controller. With our ingress controller, we have built an implementation that is focused on the needs of enterprise. We believe very much in building supportable, stable solutions that are enterprise grade and enterprise supportable. And we'll follow those principles as we begin to bring our service mesh implementation to production. But by being able to control our destiny, building our own service mesh, then we're able to bring in new capabilities and innovate. For example, we will be integrating our service mesh with the Nginx F5 control plane, the Nginx controller. Controller gives operations teams and engineers control and visibility over the application delivery pipeline. It allows organizations to monitor the pipeline, to control and configure the load balancing capabilities for an application, to do the same for API management and API delivery. And it does that in an application-centric fashion, driven by an API. And it's a very natural extension to then allow controller to also take control and provision the policies onto ingress controllers and a service mesh. 
So in the future, you'll see the capability of controller being able to manage the service mesh configuration and integrate nicely with your CI-CD pipeline. But as we look at the long term, there are other ways a service mesh could potentially develop. There are challenges at the moment. The architecture is, from many points of view, a little bit of a hack. Embedding a proxy inside every single pod, using layer upon layer of IP tables to capture and route traffic and break good networking principles in order to achieve the ability to capture traffic and pass it through the proxy. I wonder sometimes if those are sustainable long-term technical approaches to implement a service mesh. At Nginx, we have some interesting technology which we may be able to bring to bear. For example, we have an open source application server called Unit, capable of running a wide range of different application frameworks. And we're developing that to extend to address many, many more application use cases. Unit at some point in the future, could participate in a service mesh automatically, providing the proxy and capabilities as part of the native application server. And as we look at that technology, as we look at the innovation that we can do, we're constantly assessing what is it that we can do at F5 and Nginx to bring solutions to our open source community and our enterprise users that will help them build deliver, scale, and operate applications more successfully on platforms such as Kubernetes and other emerging platforms. Interesting. And if, if somebody wants to be involved to participate, you know, particularly in the open source components, like where, where do they go? So for UNIT, UNIT is an entirely open source project. You'll find us on GitHub. You'll find mailing lists. You'll find support channels. Please reach out and engage with our team, contribute to the UNIT project. We'd love to talk to you about how you can use UNIT and the capabilities that it offers. For Service Mesh currently, our implementation is an internal proof of concept. And over the next few months, you'll begin to see information coming out about how organizations can participate and benefit from that project. So stay tuned, keep on track with the podcasts, watch what's happening, and you'll hear sometime soon. All right. Well, thank you, Owen. It's been a very insightful conversation. I know I've learned a lot. And if anyone is interested in learning more, we'll have links to some additional resources on the F5 podcast page. Thank you, Terry. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I look forward to catching up with you in a couple of months' time and talking about some more of the developments we've seen in the service mesh space. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you.